Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Thank you for coming along. It is my feeling and the feeling of a lot of people I know that we're about to be hit in this country by a tsunami of misery as the effects of the COVID virus meet up with some other forces in the country. The possible uh, repeal of Obamacare, the escalating cost of housing, the stagnant nature of wages of those who have jobs, and probably the inability of the unskilled to find jobs as they have been laid off because of the virus. To discuss these things, I have two enormously interesting and gifted people. Firma uh, Harrop of Creators Syndicate and CNN columnist who uh, writes every week, twice a week, about the great issues of our day and has published in newspapers across the country. And my old friend, Joe Madison, Mr. Black Eagle, the host of the Joe Madison Show on Sirius XM Urban View, channel 126. And welcome to the broadcast, both of you. And thank you. Thank you, Luella. I appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, lovely to have you both here. Joe, you talk to a lot of people, many of whom must be in this predicament, unemployed and unlikely to get employed every day on your radio show. What are you hearing? It was just um, this week that I saw this staggering figure where 14 million children in the United States are not getting enough to eat. 14 million children, and it is working moms that are having uh, the biggest um, uh, problems. Uh, they, their jobs are gone. Um, I talked with uh, Tom Perez. I've been in, he's been on the show several times, and uh, he shared with us, and as you know, he's the former uh, uh, Secretary of Labor, but we are talking about now uh, more net job losses than any time since Hoover. Um, and these are statistics that um, are, are frightening. And then the feds uh, have uh, announced that, as you pointed out in your uh, opening, that this uh, could be the worst economic crisis if we don't get a hold of this, um, of this pandemic. I think the silver lining lies with Congress. And, and, and just what was mentioned, there has to be uh, funding made available to uh, get, get us over uh, this uh, terrible uh, pandemic. And I would close by saying that there are millions of jobs, and I didn't quite understand this, that will never come back. Well, Joe, I would say that they're not going to come back as the businesses that employed them have gone to the wall or have been severely damaged. With airlines, for example, we may end up with two or three airlines at best because they're bound to be consolidation. So it seems to me as an old business reporter that consolidations are inevitable. Bruma, I wonder, and this is also true of you, Joe, whoever wants to take this one, but is our philosophy of what to do sufficiently robust? We say Congress, but are we looking at old solutions for new problems? Are there new problems? Should we have a new philosophy? For example, there are those who propose a permanent 
federal wage. I don't think it's such a good idea myself, but something to keep these people, to tide them over into the new economy, which is going to emerge after COVID, and which is also being shaped by huge changes in technology. For example, you have, uh, uh, for the first time through machine learning, AI, etc., first time since the industrial revolution, since Newcomen invented his steam engine, perfected by James Watt in England, since then, in all of that time, the Industrial Revolution has added jobs. People have made new jobs by simply uh, making new products, more demands, more work. But now we have technology which is not additive, but subtractive in the job market, which is subtracting jobs. And it's coming at the same time as this massive unemployment of a particular stratum in society. Is our philosophy robust enough in either party to deal with it? Roma. I'm not sure what our philosophy is, actually. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and, um, um, and, you know, we could add into the mix development of a vaccine, which could come to the rescue somewhat. Um, now, you know, when I'm not in Providence, I'm in New York, and there's just lots of people. You know, they're eating, you know, they're eating in restaurants. I mean, there's still, there's still an economy going. It's, it's, it's not what it was. A lot of the, and it's true, Llewellyn, a lot of these businesses are gone for good. Um, uh, but there's also talk that, that there'll be new businesses to take their place. Um, uh, for example, a lot of the, a lot of the national chains have left New York and, 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 you know, on my New York Twitter feed, people are saying, well, you know, that's going to make opportunity for, for like the, you know, the family, you know, the family shop, the family restaurant. Um, well, it is, but they're not, I know something about businesses. I've owned them all my life uh, with varying degrees of success, somewhat yeah. of success. And it takes time to initiate a business, to staff it up. Yes. It doesn't follow like, like night to the day. It takes time. They grow, they, they stumble. Uh, and they employ reluctantly, especially in their incubating stage, because nobody knows where they're going. Restaurants are a very interesting business, first because they're the first place for the underskilled to get a job. Uh, and they're probably, restaurateurs are the most doggedly entrepreneurial people. They fail and they try again and they fail and they try again, but none of this happens uh, yeah, they are, they are, but they don't have to do an IPO to go into business. I mean, they're just these little family restaurants, you know, that start up with, you know. Things. You need a few things. You need a location, you need a license, uh, you need some equipment, and you need to draw in customers. The only place I've seen where there's no, none of that infrastructure, places like Vietnam, where you open your door, uh, if you've got a kitchen and you have a restaurant, Joe. Well, I was going to, to uh, add that, uh, like what Furman said, I don't know what the philosophy should be, but I think one economic change that's going to take place is that we're not going to have much difficulty uh, talking about a livable wage from this point on because working people are now going to demand it. I mean, you can open up restaurants, but I can almost guarantee you 
politically speaking, even though it'll be a fight, uh, they'll be working for more than than tips. Um, and and then let me add that that when you look at um, the some of the innovation that has to take place, drones are going to be delivering food and packages. Well, they have to be built. We're going to have a green economy. Um, fossil fuel, I believe, is going to be the thing of the past. It may not be in our lifetime, but it's going to happen. And that's going to create jobs. So what we're really talking about is that the, the next generation is going to be uh, trained in these types of, of jobs. And, and, and that's really going to be the future. What worries me is that if we, we, get, we come out of this with a vaccine, what really worries me is, is what is going to happen between now and then. And we're acting as if, well, it's just going to be a few months. Well, it's not. It may be a year, two years. In the meantime, you're talking about people who are evicted, who will, 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 will be on the street. And I hate to use this word, but history is a, an indicator of this. I'll, I'll use the word, this is what revolutions are made of. So we talk about changing a philosophy. The philosophy could be changed. If, if, if help doesn't come to the masses of people who, who need help, when you start talking about 14 million children that, you know, aren't getting enough to eat, you're not, you, you've got a lot of mothers and, and, and the parents that aren't just going to sit back and wait on Congress uh, or government to get their act together. And that will really change our philosophy, what it will be, I don't know. And I don't know if any of us know. At the end of the 19th century, we had the trade union movement. That's right. It grew because of these similar conditions. And people, everyone left at uh, some point, and I don't know where that point is, uh, uh, at least believed in the movement, the idea that, that trade unions were socially a very desirable thing, even though some particular unions may not have acted as they should. We don't have a trade union movement. We have a few trade unions holding on, but we don't have that sense of, of an entitlement to trade union representation, which people had even 50 years ago. And so the mechanism for this revolution uh, is going to be rather hard to define uh, Verma, um, you just came back from Seattle. It's not demonstrating in the streets, is it? That's not a viable way of bringing about change, is it? Not there. No, I went to the autonomous zone, and it was just you know a few tents left and and uh, and some graffiti. Um, but the whole the whole business of street demonstrations shows public anger, but it doesn't translate necessarily into philosophy onto a course of political action, does it? No, what, what I think needs to be done is, is work, you know, these struggling workers need a lot of support systems. One of them should be healthcare. They, you know, there should be, you know, 
national price, you know, price somehow price regulated healthcare that everyone has, whether you have a job or not. Um, uh, we, you know, we need, you know, we, we're already getting higher minimum wages, um, and and in fact, uh, the lowest income workers' wages, you know, uh, yearly income went up the first three years of, of Trump, not because of him, but because a bunch of states raised their minimum wage, and um, and we'll need that, that sort of thing. Um, Joe mentioned uh, these working mothers uh, who need jobs, and and on top of that. You know, they, they need a place to put their children when they're at work and the schools are closing down. So uh, I, you know, they are, they are in a pressure cooker that I just couldn't imagine. Absolutely. Let's go back to this idea. Maybe I said the wrong thing when I said philosopher, philosophy. Maybe we should build what I'm talking about, I suppose, is a social contract. What is the social contract? Has it been irrevocably broken by this disease? Will it be strengthened by this disease? And then between the three of us, let's talk about what should be the components of, of the social contract. Health, Roma has- an Healthcare security. Totally agree. Healthcare, I think, is absolutely essential. Uh, after that, uh, education. We're not going to put people into better jobs if they come out of the schools practically illiterate, whether we force them through some third rate university or not. Uh, people have to come out of high school educated well enough to do most work and the calculations and the articulation required for even the simplest work. And uh, so we need to, to fix education and not just when they children go back to school or when they all get a conversant with distant learning, but so they actually learn and are not socially promoted. Can I add, uh, let me add something also to that list. And that is an end of racism. And I'll tell you why I bring this up. Uh, Citigroup uh, just issued a study where they showed that the United States economy has lost $16 trillion due to inequity and discrimination. And with the, the Black Lives Matter movement, with the protests that are in the street, not just by African-Americans, but by young white, this young white generation that has been integrated. And, and let me define something that Dr. King said decades ago. When we speak of integration, it's just not the mixing of uh, colors. It's not about a child of black, white sitting next to each other and learning in school through osmosis. What you integrate is power, resources, and responsibility. And, and, and I think you're going to have to add that to the, to the list because number one, it's gonna be demanded. And number two, we, I think we finally have come to realize that it's good for the economy. And all these yahoos, Proud Boys and KKK and whatever the, the, the list of, of these folks are, uh, I hope, um, 
they, they go the way of the dinosaur and recognize that when you have diversity, inclusion, um, uh, you, you, in, you improve the economy. So I would put that on your list, Llewellyn. Very fine, very fine. Any additions to the list so far, Vermont? <laughs> Uh, well, and as I said, minimum wages, uh, you know, the federal government should raise the minimum wage. Um, it's minimum wage. You know, most states have higher minimums, but but there are some states where the minimum is just pathetically low. I think, what is the, Joe, what's the federal minimum now? It's $7. And $7, yeah, and, and, and something. Like right. And not even that for, for a service for, yeah. you know, workers in, in restaurants. I mean, as an aside, the canton of, of uh, Geneva in Switzerland just passed the world's highest minimum wage, which is, guess what? It's, it's $25 an hour. Wow. Which is three times our minimum wage. Right. A production worker in Germany gets about $35 to $40 an hour. We move our factories down to the south so they can get $15 an hour. That's right. Uh, and I uh, think something huge has been done. We've uh, got to look at how we can make the economy truly efficient and stop patting ourselves on the back and saying how great it is. Instead, we've got to see how competitive it really is and why the economy dictates such low wages, uh, why they haven't grown. The times when the country seems to have been its most progressive have been the times when that gap between, uh, between the, the better off and the less well off is not too severe. When it gets to be enormous, you have huge injustice, you have huge suffering, and a country that is not functioning at high performance. That can and, 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 you have, you know, and you have demonstrations, Luella, in the street. You know that. And, I think and, we're going to yeah. see more demonstrations in the streets generally as the sense, but what I was saying earlier is there is no mechanism to translate demonstrations in the streets into action unless it affects the ballot box, and that is relatively slow and cumbersome procedure. That is not going to help people starving this winter. Well, I was just going to say that the ballot box would make a difference, and and if you look at the polls now. Uh, you know, as Nancy Pelosi said, says Democrats could take it all, and, and that could that could set up a whole. Well, I think that would that would certainly solve some of this, or set us on a path to solving it. Uh, I don't think it will be a panacea that uh, we will be in the sunlit uplands automatically because we have a new president. Uh, but I think we may be out of some of the bog. Um, but, you know, we need long-term social goals, not just quick political fix. You need to have a society that venerates education, that venerates inclusion, that venerates a high quality of life for all of its people, not for the chosen few. Uh, and we, we don't seem to be on a path to achieving those things, or if we are, it's kept itself well concealed from me. Uh, that's why I say we need a, a philosophy. We need some goal. You know, when I was in the union business, I used to be head of the Washington Baltimore Newspaper Guild. 
way back when I worked first for the Daily News in Washington and then for the Washington Post, I mean, we had goals. We didn't expect to achieve them in every negotiation, but we had a direction. And generally, the progressive countries, for example, the Scandinavian countries in Europe, have social goals, and some of which I've outlined in education, and inclusion, and totality of the people's well-being. I, I don't know, some way we've lost that. I think we had it at one time with possible ex exception of what we were doing to African-Americans, and I make that exception before Joe corrects me, but he's welcome to correct me. Um, and I don't think we have that now, but I think the times are so severe, so extraordinary, and there is a sea change. And now is the time to start thinking about how we put some kind of cohesion into our national plan. Yeah, it's going to be, and, and I think I hear you, I agree with what you're saying. Um, it, it, what I'm thinking as you were talking, what really is going to make it even difficult to do this. Um, and that is, again, how we are communicating with each other. I, I think a lot of people out here are cynical. Um, and, you know, you know, you've got people who are talking about voting. Well, we are part of a group that we know the importance of the ballot. But I can tell you, um, it is difficult going up and down the streets of our cities, particularly our cities. I'm not going to vote. It doesn't make any difference. That's cynicism. And, th and, the, and those who are most cynical are the ones who feel that everything you're talking about has not reached them. Matter of fact, it has probably hurt them. And then the question is, and, and I, well, I haven't used these terms since I was in college. You know, what do the masses do? The masses are the ones that are going to really change and bring this philosophy that we're trying to, that we're grappling with, you know, during this whole pandemic. The, the billionaires are the ones who made more money than any other group during this entire pandemic. Um, and people are going to start demanding uh, that they do their fair share. Now, who determines what their fair share is and what's going to get them to invest in this sea change? That's, that's the question that I have, but they're going to have to do it one, or they're going to be forced to do it. So, well, I think they have to be taxed. They have to pay more taxes. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, and, and that and that's going to be a fight with with whoever gets into and, into and Congress. And I know I know a number of millennials who say they're not going to vote. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, you know, you know, for the reasons that you said, pe people you talk to say they won't vote because it never changes anything. Politicians don't do what you want, and then you vote for them. That's right. You vote right. for them to get them to do what you want. That's right. That's right. It, it's what Malcolm X used to refer to as a bloodless revolution. And and because he has this great speech called the ballot or the bullet. And 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 you folks ought to go and get it. it it's online. But we in America, we are we can have a bloodless revolution 
but that depends on people holding, voting the people in that they want the change to take place and then engaging them once they're elected. Joe, I have to ask you, what is going to be the mechanism for the public outrage to be heard and felt and translated into action? I don't know if I understand your question when you say well, the mechanism. People are going to demand. I'm asking you oh, oh, I, oh, I hear to you. express that demand and who is going to hear it. Well, I, I have been working on a, a, some, a, a speech that I've titled protest equals progress. Every pro progressive effort, we've every change that we've seen has come from protest. Now let's just be honest. And so we're going to, the mechanism is going to be more and more protest. Now that protest may for some of us may be at the ballot box. That protest very well may be on the street. Um, and what I've been telling young people is that they have to understand that a, a moment doesn't make a movement. What makes a movement? Sacrifice. Every movement has come about, whether it's the civil rights movement, uh, the labor movement, it has come about because people are willing to make sacrifice. So that's how I think I would answer your question. And, and you're going to see people who are going to be willing uh, to, to, to create, to have to sacrifice in order to, to create a movement for progress. And it's gonna be not just one moment here and a moment there. That's what I tell young people in college, you know, going to a demonstration, getting in your car, going back to home. That's not sacrifice. That's a moment. And, and so I think that's going to be the, the, the mechanism. It might be these working moms who can't feel, feed their children that will, will, will uh, be willing to sacrifice. It's like the women who decided they wanted to vote. They sacrificed and they created a, a, a movement. Joe, those are fine words. Unfortunately, they are the last words because the movement of the clock is inexorable. Thank you, from Harold, for coming on the broadcast, and thank you, Joe Madison. I hope you both come back in the future, and we'll see how this plays out in the great adventure that is America. That's our show for today. Take care of yourselves. Look out for those less fortunate. Relax, but wear your mask. No matter what you think, it will save your life and maybe other people's as well. Cheers. Our program, White House Chronicle, is on offer as a podcast for you to enjoy. Full shows on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and all major audio platforms. Subscribe and take us with you in your pocket.